good morning, church. I hope we're doing okay. I know some of you are not doing okay, but I want you to know it's okay not to be okay. That's why we're here, you know. It's great if you are doing okay, but it's okay if you're not. Um, Last week, we talked a lot about prayer, and Lord knows we all need more prayer. So if you weren't here last week and you have prayers that specifically you need us to pray over, you can probably still find some of those little cards. I know there's some on the back table back there, some prayer request cards, or you can go online and fill one out as well, and we'll get that information to our church leaders, and we will, we will pray over you. But more than that, if there's any way that we can help you as a church, because it's what family does, we help each other, right? If there's any way you specifically need help, please reach out. Please don't hesitate. We can't fill the needs that we don't know about. We talked about how prayer last week, we talked about how prayer is the life of Christ coming alive in us and how our prayer needs to match our life as well. And that's what it's all about. And this week we are wrapping up our series that I've started off the year with called Ordinary Liturgy, looking at why we do what we do. And once again, when I talk about liturgy, it can be kind of a big, scary church word that you may not know what it means. When it, what it basically boils down to, liturgy is our collective and individual response to the saving work of God through Christ. Liturgy is what we do because of what God has done. Okay? So whenever you hear the word liturgy, that's what I want you to think of. It's what we do because of what God has done. And we've looked at Four of these already. We've looked at baptism, which we had a baptism last week, which is awesome. Aradia made the, made the decision to, to give her life over to Christ in the waters of baptism. It's a fantastic, fantastic way to uh, end a service last week and to begin a new walk with God. Um, we talked about communion. Thank you, Joey, for leading us in a very powerful time of communion this morning. We've talked about giving. Thank you for all of those of you who continue to give week after week, even in the hard times, even with inflation going crazy, we have still been a church who gives, so thank you for that. Last week, we talked about prayer, and this week, we're wrapping it all up with one of my absolute favorite aspects of what we do together as a church, and that is singing and music. I mean, to me, it's not church if you don't have singing and music, right? Uh, now, I think a lot of times we put too much emphasis on that, and we think worship equals singing and music, and I hope you've seen through this study that that is not the case. Everything we do, our entire lives, should be worship. Prayer, reading the scriptures, taking communion, giving, it's all worship. So when we talk about worship, it's not just what Tyson and Shannon do up here. It's not just the songs that we sing. It is all that we do collectively. Even announcements, I guess, could be worship. <laughs> Mike, thanks for doing a great job with that. But it's all worship. But I do want to talk about singing and music today because it's such a key part for so many of us in our church life, and our church experience growing up. We have songs that we connect with. Um, Every funeral I've ever been to has some kind of meaningful song. A lot of times it's Amazing Grace. 
as we listened to at Doug's funeral on Wednesday. A lot of times it's the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Sometimes it's just a simple reading of Psalm 23. There is power in these songs. You go to nursing homes, and no, they're not wanting to sing Hillsong. They're wanting to sing Fanny Crosby. They're not wanting to sing the latest and greatest. They're wanting to sing the songs that they grew up with because that's what they know. These songs stick with us. They stay with us. They embed themselves in our brains even as we get older. Even patients with dementia and Alzheimer's can often still recall the songs that were meaningful to them in their earlier years. I love singing and music. It's such a powerful part of not just our worship, and not just religion in general, but a huge part of the human experience. So as we begin today, just kind of to, to reiterate the point that songs embed themselves in our brains and never, ever leave, I want to do a little... Uh, fill in the blank. Finish the lyrics, okay? Stick with me on this. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese. Pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Yes, there you go. You remember that jingle from the Big Mac back in the day. Uh, How about this one? The best part of waking up is Folgers. We're not a Folgers household, but that song, oh my goodness, It has ingrained itself. How about this one? Uh, This one. There we go. Maybe there. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Toys R Us is long gone, and we still know the jingle. Sad, you know. Ooh. (laughs) How about this one? Now this is a story all about how. And I'd like to take a minute just sit right there and tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air, right? Fresh Prince, one of the greatest opening songs to any sitcom ever. Okay, this one, throwing you a bone. If you haven't gotten any of the rest, I'm sure you'll get this one. Just a small town girl. There you go. Journey, you know. You're always going to remember these songs. You're always going to remember the commercial jingles. You're always going to remember the number one hits that played on the radio. You're always going to remember the songs that were formative as you grew up. They're always going to be with you. Because singing and music does something different in our brains than just about any other experience that we have. And in fact, uh, as I was researching this and looking about like why we sing and the benefits of singing. I came across this article uh, on Psychology Today written by uh, Dr. Kate F. Hayes, 12 Reasons for Singing. I narrowed it down to just some of the more interesting, I think five up there. Um, This is what singing and music can do for us. Uh, Interestingly, it gets more oxygen and more complete exhalation of carbon dioxide. It helps your breathing. (laughs) It helps your breathing. Sometimes when you're anxious, just Singing can help regulate your breath. Uh, Number two up there that I've got, uh, community and interpersonal connection. We may not have anything else in common, but we can all rock out to journey, you know? We may not have anything else in common, but we still remember these songs. And when we gather around uh, karaoke or 
go to a concert, you've got thousands of people singing. Uh, it can, uh, singing is a really, singing is really a very complex process involving various areas of our brain. When you talk, a certain part of your brain lights up. When you read, a certain part of your brain is at work. When you uh, listen to something, a certain part of your brain lights up. But when you sing or when you play music or when you, even you're listening to music, it's like a whole Christmas tree lighting up. It involves all the areas of your brain. That's why patients with dementia or Alzheimer's, even though they may not have access to certain memories or certain brain functions, they can still have access to the songs because it involves all of your brain. It's incredibly complex. It connects us more deeply with our emotions. You know, you may be reading a book and, you know, it gets to a really tender part and you start to cry. Or maybe you hear a speaker, probably not me, I don't know. But hear a speaker and they're just so captivating emotionally that it can't, you're just so moved but I tell you, there are certain songs that every time I listen to them, I get chills or I have to fight back the tears every single time because it connects us with a deeper part of our emotions. And then lastly up here, song is a form of communication. When we sing, we're communicating something. For instance, a lullaby soothes an infant and it communicates to that infant that you matter Right? Singing and music, it communicates something to us as humans, as people. So why do we sing in the context of church life, in the context of our Christian faith? Why do we sing? And, of course, I've got to start with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn really quick to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Interestingly, each one of these series we've started in the book of Luke. Each one of these aspects of our worship. Luke is a very worship-oriented kind of gospel. Luke chapter 19. Now, Easter's coming, but before Easter comes, comes Palm Sunday. And we call it Palm Sunday because of the triumphal entry. So in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem on the last week of his life. He rides in on a donkey. Let's start in verse 36. And as he was going along, the crowds were spreading their clothes on the ground. And now as he came near the path of the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And they cried out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Now, interestingly, they kind of echo the song of the angels from Luke chapter 2. Side note. But then here in verse 39, some of the Pharisees, some of the religious uppity, snooty types said, Hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. They're making too much of a fuss and too much of a ruckus. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, verse 40, I tell you, if they were to keep silence, the stones would cry out. If they don't sing, these stones all around us are going to cry out. 
I titled this lesson, Ain't No Rock. There's an old song, Ain't No Rock Gonna Cry in My Place. Uh, Because I'm not going to leave it up to non-human creation to sing the songs of praise that I should be singing. Jesus is coming into the, the temple area, into Jerusalem, at the beginning of the Passover week. Crowds from all over the place are gathered. They've seen what he can do. They've heard his teaching, and they can't help but praise God. And that's what we do when we come together. It's not a have to. It's a get to. It's a if you don't, someone or something else will. So you may as well lift your voice in song. If you don't cry out, the stones will. If you keep silent, all of creation is crying out anyway. So you may as well join in. There's a couple other uh, key moments right at the end of Jesus' life. This is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then, uh, skipping forward a little bit, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They've just observed the Passover, what we would call the Last Supper. And they're all gathered together there. And it says, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus would spend time in prayer. That's where the guards would show up and arrest him. Before all of that happens, before the darkest moment of Jesus' life, they sing a hymn. They sing together. I wish I knew what song it was, but I think it's open to interpretation. And then lastly, of course, hanging on the cross, Matthew 27, verse 46. He's hanging on the cross. He knows his life is slipping away from him. He's about to breathe his last and give up his ghost. And it says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is... My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, Matthew records his words in Aramaic and then translates them into Greek. So in Aramaic, that's what he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, for all of you, you know, biblical scholars out there, the opening lines of Psalm 22. Jesus is singing from the cross. He's not just saying these words. He's saying the words of the Psalm 22, which then goes on to talk about how they they cast lots for my possessions. They surround me like vicious dogs. They, They stretch out my hands. My bones are all out of joint. They've pierced me. But that's not how Psalm 22 ends. Psalm 22 ends with God's redemption of the writer. Psalm 22 ends with God saving the writer, in this case David, from the pit and from certain death. So he's singing these opening lines just like we did earlier, where it's like finish the lyric. You hear this line and you're automatically thinking the rest of the song. And some of you are still singing, don't stop believing in your heads. And that's okay. He's singing from the cross. So why do we sing? The first point is that Jesus' life is bookended with songs. We looked uh, back at the Christmas time, we looked at the songs recorded in Luke signifying the birth of Jesus and the coming of the Messiah. 
Right as, as he's being conceived and being born and being presented in the temple, he's surrounded by songs. And here at the end, when his life is being taken from him, when he's putting everything on the line and sacrificing himself for us, there is song. Jesus' life is bookended with songs. I think that's very powerful because that just shows how meaningful singing and music are to us as, as people. But then the second point I want to make is that the early church sang and wrote songs. We have a couple of the earliest ones recorded in the letters of Paul. You might be reading through this and like, oh, that's a beautiful poem. Paul isn't writing this. He is quoting to them their own songs. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, the great Christ hymn, that's where it says, for he emptied himself and became like one of us, became like a servant. And he became obedient to the point of death, even, on, even death on a cross, so that God might exalt him and every tongue confess and every knee should bow. It's this great Christ hymn. And Paul is just quoting to them a song that they've already written and been singing for a long time. And then Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, again, talking about the majesty of Christ, how he is one with the Father, this powerful song exalting Jesus. Again, that wasn't unique to Paul. He's quoting what they had already been singing. So the early church, we know, was full of singing. They would sing the psalms, and they would write their own worship songs as well. Uh, music and song, not only, to the, not only to Jesus' life, not only to the early church, but music and song have been important to God's people from the beginning. From the very beginning. Uh, there's the song of creation. Genesis 1, some scholars believe, is actually a song. It has a rhythm to it, a flow to it, a cadence and a meter to it that is very representative of some of the songs that ancient peoples have sung for a long time. And it makes sense. But not only that, Psalm 104 is another song of creation. It's another creation account, if you will. So God's people have been placing a great emphasis on singing about creation from the very beginning. Plus, skipping ahead a little bit in the story, there's the song of Israel's deliverance in Exodus chapter 15, another one of the earliest songs we have recorded. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and God finally comes in and rescues them and delivers them. They pass through the Red Sea. God destroys the armies of Egypt as they try to follow them, and they sing this song. Moses and his sister Miriam lead the people in this song of deliverance because of what God has done for them. Again, skipping ahead a little bit toward the end of Moses' story, we have recorded the song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He's reflecting back on his life and, and God's life with Israel so far. And it's a good recap of the story so far and urging Israel to stay faithful to God. And then, <laughs> Judges chapter 5, we have the song of Deborah. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Deborah, the, the priestess, the judge that God raised up to rout this 
army that was threatening their tribes. And afterwards, she composes this amazing song recounting the battle, recounting how God intervened and, and how he exalted the lowly and brought down the mighty. It's an amazing song. Plus, Judges chapter 5 is one of the earliest fragments of the Old Testament that we have, period, which is kind of a cool side note. And of course, there's the entire book of songs, Psalms, which is Israel's songbook. Yeah, you may have grown up in church where you had the hymnals, right? You could just flip through. For them, their hymnal was the book of Psalms. They still sing them to this day. We still sing them to this day. Last summer, we went through the book of Psalms and selected key ones and focused on the message behind that psalm. And our worship team led us in a song based on each one. The book of Psalms, like, it's the biggest book, the longest book in the entire Bible, if that says anything about how important music and song are to God's people. From the beginning, Music and song have been with, part of what God's people do. And then, here's a cool thing. Music and song will be one of the few experiences to last into eternity. Now, don't hear me saying that heaven is just going to be one eternal worship service. Even to me, that sounds awful. <laughs> that is not the image that we get of heaven that awaits us. That is not, that came about, that, that idea came about kind of in the Middle Ages, all right? That is not what the New Testament tries to describe, especially through the book of Revelation. But even in Revelation, music and song lasts into eternity. There's this scene where every, the entire multitudes are gathered around the throne of God and they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. That's Revelation chapter 15, 1 through 4. And there's songs scattered all throughout the book of Revelation. Music and singing will last into eternity. It was there at the beginning of time with the song of creation, and it will be there at the end as all the saints who have gone before us and come after us, as we're all gathered into heaven around the throne of God, we sing our songs. So, singing may be weird. There aren't many gatherings where we just get together with a whole bunch of people and sing anymore. You know, you don't have community choirs or barbershops, you know, quartets and stuff any, anymore so much. Some of you may play in a band. Some of you may uh, jam with some friends. On Wednesdays, it's cool. We've got the Spring Mill jammers come uh, practice in D1, that's like become my favorite day of the week, just hearing them play. Uh, and we've got a dulcimer group that meets on f every other Friday night. It's, it's fun. Like music just fills this building so, so much. But in our everyday life, singing is kind of weird. If you just burst out into song, people think you're strange, right? You may go to a musical and think, nobody lives like this. My family did. <laughs> You may not be a musical fan at all. My family was all show tunes all the time. Literally. Yeah, there you go. Um, from State Fair to Brigadoon to Camelot to uh, the Newsies was my favorite musical growing up. Anybody watch the Newsies? Like, uh, and even into the modern era with things like The Greatest Showman, 
Love that movie. Or, or Hamilton, the play. Like the, these songs just from these movies that tell the story. And you might think, that's really weird. Nobody lives like that. Again, my family did. My family did. It was, there was a song for everything. You'd say one thing and somebody would bust out into just a line from a song. It's like, stop it. I'm just trying to have a conversation. So, you may think singing is weird, but it would be weirder not to sing. Because of how important music and song has been for God's people and for the human race since the dawn of time, it would be weirder not to sing. And again, if we keep silent, the rocks will cry out. And I don't want any rock crying out in my place. Now, I may hear some pushback. What demographic do you think has the biggest pushback against singing in the church? Guys, I'm talking to you, okay? Gentlemen. Now, maybe some ladies too, but gentlemen, all right, you're about to get a talking to. Because over my time, I've heard some pushback. There may be some guys who are like, singing's too girly. That's a girl thing. Okay, try telling that to Johnny Cash. Try telling singing is too girly to uh, Bruce Springsteen. Or say, oh, singing's a girl thing. Tell that to Dave Grohl. Uh, singing's a girl thing. Tell that to Thorin Oakenshield from the Hobbit movies, right? The king of the dwarves who comes to reclaim his throne of the Lonely Mountain. And that song that they sing when they're still in Bilbo's house. Far over the misty mountains old. Yeah, chills every time. You got a bunch of men in these deep voices just singing together. Yeah. Tell Thorn Oakenshield that it's girly to sing, right? It's not girly. Come on. You're a man. You can sing in your deep, gruff voice. Now, some of you are like, speaking of voice, uh, I don't have a good singing voice. When I sing, it sounds like the donkey I've got out in the pasture. I don't have a good singing voice. Okay, tell that to Bob Dylan or Justin Bieber. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good your voice sounds. We're not called to make a beautiful noise. We're called to make a joyful noise, right? Some of you grew up on Bob Dylan. Oh, my God. Goodness, if somebody else could take his songs and just make them magical to where they're actually listenable. I I don't know, not a Dylan fan. (laughs) I can appreciate his music and his talent, not so much his singing voice. But anyway, it's not about how your voice sounds. It's not about how anyone views you. It's not about being entertained. It's not about sounding good. It's not about impressing other people. That is not what singing is about. It's about praising God, our Savior. It's about praising God for who he is and what he's done for us. But so many times our, our singing portion can get just out of whack. Sometimes the words we sing and the life we live don't really match up. Sometimes we do just go through the motions. Sometimes it does become something other than what it should have been all along. I have a short video I want to show. Your love on Sundays. Only sing of your love on Sundays.
sing of your love on Sundays, then this feeling is gone by Monday. I surrender some. <laughs> I surrender some. Jesus, I will give. Because I think it captures so much where our mindset is when it comes to singing sometimes. So why do we sing? If it's not about all of that, why do we sing? I want to close with three last quick points. First of all, we sing to teach and to tell our story. It's about identity. These, these songs that we sing, they tell our story. They tell about who we are. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am who you say I am. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. These songs that we sing are about, 
singing about what makes us us. They tell our story. They teach other people the story. And like I said, those songs will stick with us the rest of our lives and even into eternity. It's about identity. We can identify with the songs we sing and find our identity in these lyrics. Number two, we sing to involve and include everyone. You know, only certain people are up here preaching every Sunday. Only certain people are up here leading our communion every Sunday or, or uh, praying for us every Sunday or making announcements. Like, only certain people do certain tasks sometimes when it comes to our worship. But singing is something we can all do. Don't believe me? Just ask Buddy the Elf. Everybody can sing, right? To involve and include everyone. This is about unity. It's about belonging It's about lifting up one voice, overcoming our differences. We're all different here, right? We all come from different backgrounds, have different beliefs, maybe different values, maybe different political ideals, maybe different upbringings of whatever kind. But when we all unite in song, we belong together. It's about involving and including everyone finding unity and belonging. And lastly, we sing to connect us with something bigger. We sing those songs about heaven. We sing those songs about God's mission here on earth. We sing the songs about living the life of a Christian and what God has done in and through us. This is about hope. It's about mission. It's about keeping God's people on task It's about spreading the good news and connecting us with something bigger than our own little world. It's been said that you are what you worship. You become like what you worship. And so if you're only worshiping what you see in the mirror, or if you're only worshiping the people you see on TV or the people on the ball court, if that's who you worship, you will only become like them, and you'll find yourself empty. But if we exalt and praise and worship God, we will find hope and meaning and purpose in our lives that connects us with something bigger than ourselves. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up as we close. Um, We're actually gonna have two songs as we end. We're gonna have one song, and then we're gonna tell you a little bit about um, what we have coming up with the worship team, and then we'll have one final song as we wrap up, and then again, Please stick around for our annual meeting. I just wanted to read these verses real quick as they kind of play some of the intro to the song that we're going to be singing. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. We talked about that last week. But right after that, he says, is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. There's always a reason to rejoice and sing praises. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God the sacrifice of praise. For some of you, singing might be a sacrifice because you have that self-consciousness to get over. You have that self-awareness, I'm not a good singer, to get over. Some of you, it is a sacrifice. For some of us, it might be a sacrifice to hear you, but we're willing to put up with that. Give the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name and connect us with our identity in Christ. Colossians 3.16, I'll end with this one. Let the word of Christ 
dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, through hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Are you thankful today? Are you joyful today? Despite the suffering and the pain you might be going through, you can find a reason to sing today.